And welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my D1 ticker colleague and co-host, Brian Fisher. I hope all of you have had a meaningful and restful and wonderful holiday season. Um, I'm going to peel back the curtain here a little bit. We're recording this before Christmas because Brian and I want to be able to have some time to be to do Christmas with our, our families. But um, there's still there's there's something else that's a little bit less time sensitive that we're able to record it now that I thought would be especially apropos for us to talk about because now that Christmas is in the rear view, um, we are heading towards the turning the the calendar to uh, 2023, and that means Brian. We have to make some predictions or else we lose our reporter license, right? It does feel that way. You know, this is that time of the year where you kind of reflect back upon everything you you accomplished in in 2022, all those big misses in terms of those predictions that we have. But uh, it also (laughs) offers a great slate of uh, opportunities to uh, to also look ahead and, and peer into that crystal ball a little bit for 2023. There there will be a full text version of this on Extra Points. And before we kind of dig into what we're expecting for next year, I thought in the interest of being fair, in the interest of being serious professional journalists, we should go back and look at what I wrote last December. Um, I've been doing these predictions uh, for as long as we've been doing Extra Points. I thought it, we, it's it's not a bad idea for it to take a second here, look back at what I thought was going to happen this year and see what, what sort of things I got right and what sort of things uh, we badly missed on. Um, so I have this pulled up, and I'll, I'll, I'll share the link to the 2022 predictions in the show notes. Um, it didn't really get on any gigantic limbs. Um, uh, the, the, the first section pertained name, image, and likeness. And I thought, hey, this year we're going to see some major lawsuits. We're going to see somebody um, not get paid what they thought they were going to get paid. I thought that there was going to be some sort of conflict between brand and athlete and uh, – Brian, to the best of my knowledge, that hasn't actually happened yet. There's been a lot of rumors. There's been smoke. There's been frustration with people maybe not getting exactly what they thought. But I'm unaware of any litigation. Yet, yet. I think yet. that's that's the that's the key term. And and I, I think I agreed with you. Uh, if, if we go back to some of those predictions, I mean that that did seem like that was going to be the case. You know, not only was was NIL kind of reaching a bit more of a mature phase, but like you know, you you could understand how. Maybe some recruits didn't get what they promised. Maybe uh, they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Um, you know, we, we all know how um, uh, pe- people enjoy their their billable hours in college athletics. So maybe that was going to be a, a part of the case as well. So I, I think you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, th- th- there was some good reasoning behind that prediction. I I, I don't know if you you might want to roll that over to twenty twenty three. That that might be a, a little bit more of a a, a, a smart thing there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to say that that's not going to happen. I might have been a little bit premature with that one, um, a little bit potentially premature with a, a couple of these other things, right? I also believed, you know, last December, hey, with the college football video games slated to come out in 2023, 2022 would be when the group license structure would be announced. And that has taken longer uh, for all parties than was originally expected. That was also a, a, a pretty educated guess. I wasn't pulling that completely out of my butt. Part of the legal ch- uh, challenges of one team partners and with Fanatics and with Learfield and everything made that a little bit more uh, challenging. Uh, you did see a proliferation in group licensing deals and, and even even more recently with collectives with mid-majors. Um, one team partners, uh, you know, has, has kind of gone out of their way to chase mid-major group license business. You can buy an app state Jersey with a player name on it now. 
I, you know, uh, just uh, as, these, yeah. as, as we were, we're going through signing day, you know, last week, I, yeah. it was, it was fun to kind of get through, go through a couple of rosters and uh, noticing how schools are incorporating some of those, those NIL deals, uh, whether it be on their official player pages, uh, you know, online where you, you can include a link to, to buy some of those jerseys. That has been one thing that I have noticed, especially I, I think during football season, um, Schools are making a huge push in terms of putting that out there, and I think that was one uh, that that you definitely nailed uh, going going into twenty twenty two. Speaking of NIL, I mean the the last kind of prediction, which I think dovetails into uh, the, the next group here, was about politics, and uh, you know based on what I was hearing at the end of last year, I thought, boy. Um, wouldn't be shocked if the IRS makes itself known uh, on the NIL front in 2022, either on the individual athletes failing to report deals uh, or investigating charitable NIL collectives. And I believe just like I did last year that the great majority of those collectives that are uh, classified as 501c3s and are, and are promoting themselves as purely charitable, I don't think they actually meet the, the NIL, the, the IRS designation as such. Um, this was another thing where I think I got out a little bit too early because the IRS does not have the investigative capacity to do a bunch of the stuff it's supposed to be doing right now, let alone this. And so, and and now I think it's an open question about whether that ever actually happens, even if these things really do break that law. So I thought I thought we were going to see more of that. We didn't. Um, might see some more on the athlete side after this April, now that more people are doing deals, but we, we shall see. That one, it was a bit of a swing and a miss. Did a little bit better on some of the political predictions for 2022. I wrote that I did not think it would be possible for the federal government to pass an NIL bill. Didn't happen. Didn't really even, didn't even come, come close. close. Yeah. Didn't even, nothing got out of committee. Nothing really... Uh, and they, they were, there were like eight or nine bills that were eventually proposed. None of them had any kind of meaningful juice. Uh, ones come from Republicans or Democrats. Um, this has become the conventional wisdom. I'm going to you know, spoiler alert here. I don't think that conventional wisdom completely applies for 2023. We, we can talk about why there in a second, but uh, didn't you know that January said this isn't happening? We had a couple of, of committee hearings about it. Didn't come close to happening. You also saw a run of state governments primarily in the South, but not exclusively, immediately amend their state NIL bills to become more permissive or remove them entirely. Um, predicted that, that did end up happening. And and I want to say at this point, I think only one or two states that didn't have an NIL bill got around to passing one. You know, that there was a, there was a rush of that. That's not really a state house priority here at the moment. Um, if I can take a victory lap, uh, looking at the paragraph here too, I wrote and quote, the federal body that school leaders are most concerned with right now should not be the House or the Senate, but the National Labor Relations Board, one that has essentially invited athletes to unionize. I don't think we'll see an FBS program seriously attempt unionization in 2022, although I'm sure it will happen eventually. Uh, folks, that kind of ha- that happened just ding, a couple ding, days ding. ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And the- We're going to see I think that's one of the big predictions that we could probably go go into a, a little bit later, just in terms of the outcome, not only of the, of the NLRB case, but um, you know, I, this is going to be, I, I think, one of the ones that everybody is really paying attention to and, and watching. You know, yes, you do have the, the House and the Johnson cases. We, we've discussed those before, and um, you know, those are just kind of lurking in the in the background. I think this one's much more public, just in terms of the speed that you're going to see a decision uh, reached, and, and probably some appeals as well, uh, knowing how how both these things uh, tend to get fought out. But um, you're you, you 
you're spot on with that one. That one uh, was was an easy one, I, I guess you could say, uh, just given the the talk. Uh, certainly, when you made this prediction uh, yeah. going into the, the year, you know, I I will say this: while the NLRB straight up invited people to file complaints and to reach out, athletes, current athletes, by and large, didn't. The, the, the complaints came through activist groups on, on the outside, and that's ultimately what you know led to the, the investigation that's going to happen here surrounding not just USC, but the NCAA at, at, at large. Um, no longer a hypothetical thing that may happen at some indeterminate point in the future. This is a major 2023 storyline. Um, let's talk about some stuff I totally screwed up. Let's talk about some of these realignment predictions. Again, This these were things coming from January, I wrote this in January of 2021. All right. So, uh, hey, I think the driving force between realignment and this cycle is going to continue to be FCS and one AAA schools trying to become more geographically concentrated and, uh, you know, to better equip themselves for the FCS playoff. There was some of that, but that wasn't the driving force of realignment in 2022. It was the exact opposite. Did I see USC and UCLA coming? Not a chance. I was completely flat footed. With, like me when that news happened hey, I, you were not the only yeah. one so so don't no. don't worry about it i think that took the entire industry uh, outside of uh, a very select few in los angeles and in the big 10 offices uh, by surprise and and it, depending on who you believe apparently one minnesota blogger um everybody <laughs> else you know you didn't didn't see it coming uh i predicted that chicago state would accept a provisional invitation to join the MIAC. uh that the MIAC did in fact vote on admitting chicago state and they declined to do it um, so now the, the Cougars are still institutionally homeless. So I think I see, we'll see at least two new Division II programs announced are reclassifying to D1 and as, perhaps as many as five. I think we, we, think we hit at least two. Uh, I want to say we're, we're probably a Queens, three or four, right? Yeah, Queen, Queens did and Stonehill did. And and Abilene Christian or something like that. Uh, Abilene, not, oh, you're Abilene thinking you're thinking of commerce. Commerce, I, that's right. I, yeah. think, I think commerce was in 2020. I think that was in 2021. Uh, was when was when they announced. You can there, tell we did couple. plenty of research for this episode. Yeah. Okay. So partial credit on <laughs> yeah, this one. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. Serious professionals. Uh, I said that the most interesting mid major uh, at this point was UT Arlington because at this point they were uh, in, in conversations to join not just the WAC uh, but potentially the Missouri Valley Conference, uh, which seems like a geographic outlier. They gave final presentations. Like there was a lot of smoke to that. Um, they ended up joining the WAC. Uh, my educated guess for the most interesting mid-major with multiple realignment options this year is the College of Charleston. They're, they did, they, they're still in the CAA. Like the, and and to, I don't think that things got especially far with, with them looking at other ones. So I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the L uh, on that one. Um, this is a guess is that once Conference USA will add Eastern Kentucky to get to 10 programs. No, they added Kennesaw State. Um, I, I would not uh, not put the the well maybe we'll, we'll get to that in the prediction uh, piece. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm not sure Eastern Kentucky. You might uh, might want to roll something over uh, at least on that school uh, to 2023. No, we'll talk about that too. And I got a couple other things wrong, and then we can we can we can hit into some of the big things here. Oh, uh, I for the Big Ten media rights deal, uh, I predicted that that was going to. I did get it right that I wasn't going to do it with ESPN. Um, I like I, I said it would be. I said Fox, CBS, um, and and. Um, I didn't have NBC, but well, you had, had an NNT badly once back into a college. Yes. So, uh, you know, I think that would qualify for, for NBC because they, they badly wanted into college fall beyond Notre Dame. They did. Uh, I was definitely wrong on the money. I, I, I predicted something in the high 60s range and that it's, it's going to be more than that uh, on that front. Um, 
said that there's going to be some NIL industry contraction and consolidation in the marketplace front. That hasn't happened. It is going to happen very soon. Um, I'm aware of one that's that's probably not going to make it to Q3, um, but a l- little bit early on that one. And uh, do you feel confident predicting the next NCAA constitution will be accepted with minimal complaint next month? That is true, uh, in part because the constitution barely said anything. <laughs> like We're still <laughs> fighting over anything actually substantive. Well, and the fact that that has taken so long is, you know. Well, we were we were also in that room uh, there in Indianapolis yeah. when when that was all going down, and and there was there was some pushback amongst the D two D three type of type of members. There were there were a couple that uh, raised their objections, but uh, they, not percentage wise. Yeah, you know, most of them yeah. voted for it. So yeah, I, I I do remember multiple ones calling on the legacy of Dr. King as a means to make sure we didn't pass the new constitution, which you know. Far be it from me, somebody who has not been blessed with an overwhelming supply of melanin, but that feels like a stretch. Um, looking back here, obviously, you know, I, I think these predictions hit a couple of, of major stories here in, in 2022. We didn't hit all of them as we head into the things you want to take a step at predicting. I, I One of the biggest, if not, if not the biggest story, I think, from last year was USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. That's a huge story, not just because it it set it set the conference realignment cycle going on again. It, it sparked questions about what, what super conferences are. It completely blew up the idea of trying to contain costs via moving to something in, in tighter geography, which was kind of the assumption in and around COVID and, and what we've seen here with, with, with lower leagues. And it wasn't, it's a, it's a competition story. It's an NIL story. It's a political story. And it's a philosophical story that um, I, I feel like you know once that happened in, in, uh, in the late summer, really kind of kind of cast a shadow on a bunch of other things happening here. Um, you didn't see this coming, right? Uh, you know, I I think just the the completion of it, like you know when it when it happened and and how quickly it happened. Usually, you get some some sort of rumors, and I do kind of think back to a couple of conversations that I had, you know, earlier that summer or in that spring, and I said, you know what, maybe I should have put uh, two and two together uh, just a, a little bit in terms of, hey, maybe this is a move that um, yeah. you know USC primarily, but but I think USA UCLA obviously still uh, you know very much uh, wanted to to make the move as well, and uh, yeah, I think it caught everybody's surprise. I mean, we we were there, um, you know, in Las Vegas at Acta. And, you know, there's a lot of discussions about, you know, Oklahoma and Texas. That was kind of the big move. Is, is there anything that's going to happen? And then uh, as, as soon as we get back home, you know, really, it was kind of like the, the next day. Then, boom, uh, you know, you heard the rumors. You saw, you know, John Wilders uh, w- was first to report. And then, uh, you know, it happened. It happened uh, very, very quickly. Six hours later, basically. Uh, yeah. And really, that that the, the biggest surprise to me was just knowing that, you know, Kevin was uh, uh, Kevin Warren, the, the commissioner, was was overseas at the time. You know, I was like, ah, oh, well, yeah. you know, they're, they're not going to complete anything without the commissioner. Uh, being fully on board. And as we, you know, he, he kind of has, has recounted at least a, a little bit uh, over the last uh, couple of months, you know, able to get that, that job done, get some, get some phone calls, get some zooms done. But um, you know, it's, it was uh seismic to, to say the least. And I think the, the one that just because of the, the geography component really caught everybody off guard. You know, I, I think everybody could understand, you know, Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, sure. You know, they, they always had wanted to be in that prestigious league, you know, the, the most prestigious league. Um, obviously the, the money was, was great, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, uh, this is a, a new era, uh, certainly a, a conference that stretches from coast to coast and one that has the top three media markets in the, in the country. So uh, a big four Philadelphia is number four. 
Sure. Yeah. I, I guess you would, you would definitely include them uh, given, given the Penn state tie. So, uh, you know, obviously a ton of uh, media eyeballs on, on the big 10, you, you have the new TV deal that will uh, expose them even more to, to broadcast television and uh, really pump them up. I, we were uh, just at uh, the SBJ uh, convention a couple weeks ago, um, had uh, my Fox colleague, Michael Mohill just talking about how uh, the amount of eyeballs that uh, those TV partners would have if they ran a big 10 promo on Sunday and, you know, teasing the games for yeah. the next week and, and just how big that can be for promoting the brand. You add in some marquee uh, flagship uh, programs like UCLA basketball and USC football, uh, you know, to the mix. And, uh, you know, this is a, there's a reason why we have started to say there's, there's the big two in college athletics at the FBS level and then kind of everybody else, you know, it's no longer the power five. It really is the power two. And this move really solidified that I, I think over the summer. Beyond that, it, it's interesting. Obviously the big two dominate money. They dominate administrative power. They dominate recruiting. They dominate many of these other things. Maybe one of the other biggest stories, though, was I think from that from like that calendar year was the exact opposite of the big two, and that was with the miracle run of St. Peter's making it to the Elite Eight. This feels like approximately four hundred years ago. The idea that a a tiny school would make a, a, a run like this not. Not shocking. It happens every couple of years. It wasn't, you know, Loyola made the final four. It wasn't that big of a deal. But I thought with St. Peter's, it's especially funny. One, because Peacock, their mascot's a Peacock. And that's like objectively hilarious. I have the, but home, if you field, were, I have the home field shirt. That you, have the home, you have the home field shirt. A lot of people do. But this, you know, this was happening right as conversations around the, I think, readjusting Division One or the loudest, because it was only a couple of weeks really after the NCAA convention. And if you were going to move a dozen teams out of Division One that were not HBCUs because they were not capable of funding a Division One level experience because they, they their budgets were too small, their facilities weren't strong enough, St. Peter's would be on that list. If you were going to get rid of six schools, St. <laughs> Peter's would be pretty close to that list. Like there's, there's mid-major, there's low-major, and there's Don Bosco High School, and there's St. Peter's. So the idea for like for that school, and then that school to beat Kentucky basketball with the guy that looked like you know had a McLovin mustache looking thing, right? And 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 then a, 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 and with with the whole thing, really kind of McLovin doesn't have a mustache, but you, you know, like it looks like a you know the seventh grader hasn't figured out how to shave yet, kind of thing. And then they make the elite eight. Is, is hilarious like that that crystallizes why m mainstream america is so interested in the ncaa basketball tournament not because they're deeply invested in the sport like they are for college football they're really not um but they're invested in a story like a saint peter's and uh if you dramatically change division one's membership this is the ri a risk that you run of potentially not having a team exactly like that moving forward a huge story um and then, if, I mean, I'm trying to think of the other really, really big things here. I mean, like on the football field, I guess Georgia's the new Alabama. A little of? bit, a little bit. I, I mean, just slaying that kind of Alabama dragon that was kind of, uh, you know, hovering over the, the rest of the SEC and, and that program in particular, you know, knocking off, uh, you know, Nick Saban. Yeah, you know, we, we'd always heard going into last year in, in particular about 
oh Nick Saban and and all the uh, the assistants. He you know none of them can, can beat him. Well, ended up two yeah. two ended up beating him last year. And uh, Nick uh, Jimbo Fisher and, and Kirby Smart and you know the third national title for Georgia, a, a program that we always thought was you know, right there um, among the most attractive jobs in the country. Just had never really gotten it done. Yeah, they've you know won two previous national titles, but um, you know given the recruiting base, given the talent that they have uh, on hand, pretty much every single year, given the facilities there. Uh, you know, you, you kind of thought them to be uh, a school that was capable of winning a couple national titles, and, and maybe they they will now. Now that they kind of broke through that glass ceiling, and uh, you know they got they got things rolling. They not only have the number one team in in the college football playoff this year, but um, one that looks primed to compete for for the next couple of years and, and really kind of turn into uh, not not discounting Alabama, but uh, maybe Alabama's uh, very easternly uh, uh, compatriot there in terms of dominating the national discussion. It I I I've seen a lot of analysts that I respect compare last year's Georgia team to maybe the first iteration of the dominant Alabama teams because they weren't doing it with throwing the ball 450 yards a game. They weren't trying to run 92 plays. You would look at it and think like they don't have a Heisman guy at quarterback necessarily. The offense doesn't look like it completely invincible, but then they sit on you and you, they still won 37 to nothing. Um, And you know, the, the Georgia team last year, even though they, they had the they had the capacity to still score forty five points in part because they could start at their own forty eight yard line on every single drive, didn't the offense on paper did not scare people the way that maybe modern Alabama does um, or or uh, Ohio State does sometimes right and and they still crushed everybody and if Georgia ever decides to shift things into that gear or they can then it's then it then it's a new Death Star like that's going to be the new conversation. Uh, not just for this year, where I think they are overwhelmingly the favorite to win this year's four-team playoff field, uh, but but potentially moving forward. Because this this year was supposed to be a rebuilding year for Georgia based on what they were last year. What they were last year was real, real damn good. Yeah, that, that's the fascinating thing to me is just like you, you looked at Georgia, you thought, oh, they lose all these draft picks, especially in defense. Yeah, they, they might take a half step back and, and look at them. They're, they're the number one team in, in, in the rankings. They are they go undefeated again, uh, looking probably uh, uh, certainly a lot better on, on offense, but probably more balanced than they ever have uh, the, these last couple of years and uh, prime for, to add to their trophy case as well. But the flip side also is, is just Alabama. I mean, they came, they were within probably three quarters of winning that football game and uh, maybe yeah. some injuries to, to certainly to the wide receiving core that probably kind of put the put one hand behind their back and it was just a little bit too much there in that fourth quarter in Indianapolis and uh, you kind of think maybe how the, the the fortunes have changed from that game in particular everybody came into the season thinking Alabama was going to be a dominant number one uh, they, yeah. you know, they had a Heisman Trophy winner they had Will Anderson uh, probably the best offensive player in all of college football and uh, they end up losing two games and, and uh, getting relegated a little, little bit to the uh, Sugar Bowl against Kansas State so nobody really expected that uh, for, for, for Alabama as almost as equally as much as they didn't expect Georgia to be this good. So, um, you know, kind of reinforces that uh, in, in this day and age, uh, it really can be a little bit of a year to year type of type of league for, for college football, just given the, the amount of roster uh, turnover and uh, just how, how they develop guys and some of these SEC programs like they have there in Athens and Tuscaloosa. Um, the last story which is not nearly as significant for the college athletic industry as a whole, but is very significant in our little corner of the internet is that of course, EA, EA sports college football is going is uh, will not be released in 2023, but is now scheduled to be released in 2024. Um, and given that I make 20% of my subscriptions through covering this game and, you know, broke that story near the end, that was easily the, the, uh, 
one of the biggest days in extra points this year. But that will be a licensing story. It means we get a whole other year of development blogs, and you know, hopefully, we're able to go down to Florida and and uh, and talk to some folks uh, on the development of that project. But in our little part of the world, uh, and certainly, I think heading into this off season, it's a big deal. But Brian, I think we talked enough about the year that already happened. Um, and you know, we got a couple of things, right. But I, I missed some pretty big things. I think we owe it to the people, at least certainly I owe it to the people to make some dumb predictions about next year. Would you care to join me? Absolutely. I, I have a few of my own, so I'm, I'm excited to get started here. Real quick before we do that though, I predict that, uh, you will enjoy getting some new clothes from our, our sponsors at homefieldapparel.com. They sell extremely comfortable things in 2022, and they're going to drop even more extremely comfortable, interesting things in 2023. They are the most comfortable, most interesting, unique, officially licensed collegiate apparel company. All the designs are old-timey and retro, uh, covering the the biggest uh, biggest brands, your Ohio States, your Alabamas, your USC's, uh, to the Colorado School of Mines, and uh, DePaul, and Chicago State and Fairfield, and a slew of other smaller institutions. Uh, I am wearing the Doggers again right now. Uh, they are exceptionally comfortable. It's a little bit cold here in my basement office. I'm wearing a, a uh, crew neck, one that uh, the, the good folks at BYU Sports Nation sent me recently. Thank you, gentlemen. It's very comfortable. But underneath that is a home field t-shirt. Um, well, you know, the, speaking of uh, Colorado School of Mines, the uh, Division II runner-ups uh, this, yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah, there we, there we go. There, go there, there's Blaster. There's Blaster. There. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll get them, you'll get them next year. Ferris State surely is going to be graduating some people in mines. You got them right where you want them. Um, you can grab your own home field stuff if you didn't get it for Christmas and you suddenly have some uh, some gift cards or some money to burn that you want, so you can get the uh, the apparel that you really want. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code Extra Points to save fifteen percent off of your order. That is homefieldapparel.com. Well, Brian, what do you say we take a stab at a couple of predictions for for this coming year, for 2023? We've got this broken up here in a, a couple of different categories because there's a, a few major storylines we expect in the industry. Let's start here with something that I know my non-industry degenerate listeners are going to be most interested in. Let's talk about conference realignment. Where do we think that, where do, Brian, where do you think that we're going in, in this year? I assume that uh, we're going to see at least one conference change. Uh, announced in 2023, right? Where do you think this is going? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll have the official ones of, of all the new uh, members joining the league for, for 2023. You know, the AAC is changing composition. We, we have the Big 12, all sure, those sure, new members yeah. integ- integrating. I, I think Gonzaga is certainly on the move. And I think they, yeah. I know all the chatter is about the uh, Big 12. I, I think they're going to the Pac-12. I, I'm, I'm going to go out on, on a limb and say that uh, they, they stick with geography. Um, they are one of the members that uh, the Pac-12 adds once they get their new media deals. Uh, I think everybody has pegged San Diego State, just given the proximity being in Southern California, it makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, part of the UC system, yes, that that would definitely be the easy pick. But uh, I, I think George Klyovkov is going to get one over on his his new buddy uh, there in Brett Yormark in the Big 12, who has been talking a big game. And uh, I, I think they, they land Gonzaga. You know, it, it's funny. I, I, I agree. Like I, I, I will say this. I feel substantially more confident that Gonzaga is leaving the West coast conference than I do in Gonzaga's destination. I feel pretty confident that they're not going to join the big East. Um, even though the big East would love for that to happen. And there's some urgency on, on, on their front. We can talk about them in a second. I 
I think I would handicap it as like 65% Pac-12, 35% Big 12. And I think I would go with the Pac-12 here as well. Uh, and I would also say that I think San Diego State eventually uh, ends up joining the Pac-12, even though um, the the possibility of them going to the Big 12 is not zero. Like they're in a position there um, to have some flexibility. I know the Big 12 has stated they want to be a four-time zone conference. Gun to my head right this second, and this is a guess. This is not reported. A guess. I don't think they get there in 2023. I think it would be. I, I do feel confident they're not. They're not going to poach anybody from the Pac-12, unless Oregon and Washington leave for the Big Ten. And I'll, spoiler: my prediction is that doesn't happen in 2023. Uh, I, I think on the realignment front, I think the Pac-12 gets a media deal, and I think they get a a a grant of rights that is not exorbitantly long but that those teams make a commitment to stick together for the, for the short term um, and that the big Ten's not really ready to absorb them or that the math doesn't make sense. The political situation is too volatile to, to, to roll the dice on that particular move here right now. So they end up staying together. The big 12 is unable to poach any of those teams. And then rather than elevating another marginal uh, brand in the central or Eastern time zone, a Memphis, a South Florida, or a Boise State, um, which is not, not a marginal program, but like one that doesn't really satisfy the Big 12's major revenue goals. I think they stand pat, um, the, and uh, th- that would be the 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 uh, represent the majority of 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 what realignment looks like there. The the one thing I, I don't actually know about that really have a good sense of this is what the Mountain West would do without San Diego State. And my 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 initial guess would I think is nothing. Rather than because uh, uh, there's not really a single FCS team that would be, I think, prepared to make that jump without some kind of travel partner and uh, adding two or three or four to the Mountain West, I don't think makes immediate financial sense. So even though you're going to lose a little bit of that television deal, my best guess right now, guess, haven't done the reporting on it yet, guess is San Diego State leaves and they don't do anything. And uh, they just roll with a, with a smaller league and and uh, have one less mouth to feed and, and try to and try to elevate what UNLV and Nevada and Colorado State are capable of being. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, speaking of the WCC connection, I mean, Gloria Navarro is taking over over the league for Craig Thompson. That's going to be a new new thing, you know, being in uh, in, in 2023. I, I would say outside of San Diego State uh, potentially going for the Pac-12, you know, I, I think I, I would keep an eye on Boise State. Not sure if it will happen uh, to join the Big 12. I, I think that could be another move that uh, is, is at least percolating a little bit in the, in the background, especially given if there's any kind of instability uh, there around the Mountain West. As you mentioned, there's not really uh, a perfect candidate to either replace a San Diego State or or really kind of enlarge that league. Uh, you know, I think their, their media rights deals are uh, coming up, uh, not not immediately, but, but uh, you know, kind of sooner than probably expect it. So uh, keep yeah. that in mind uh, that those tend to, to drive some of these conversations as well. And, um, you know, frankly, there's there's going to be some of those second order effects still from either Texas and Oklahoma leaving early. I think that deal is going to get announced, um, you know, probably at the start yes. of the new year. Uh, I think that had been that had been in the works for, for a while. Uh, I, I know that the chatter had picked up a little bit while we were out there in, in, in Las Vegas for the SBJ conference, but um, th- things were trending that way, uh, I, I think, for a long time before that. And it just makes a lot of sense. You have a new college football playoff coming 
coming in 2024. You obviously have USC and UCLA, some new media deals uh, with the SEC. It just kind of makes sense for everybody. Um, obviously, there there are some inventory considerations that uh, uh, certain companies uh, w- would like if uh, they, they want to allow uh, Texas and Oklahoma to leave because those are some pretty big marquee games. Um, yeah. You know, plus, you know, I, I think for Texas and Oklahoma, they want some clarity in terms of uh, the the amount of, they're actually going to have to pay. So there there will be some negotiation yeah. uh, going on with with those. And uh, frankly, for for a lot of those schools too, um, you know, that are still those eight remaining schools in the Big Twelve. They would like, uh, you know, maybe a five, ten million dollar extra bonus uh, check as as well, on top of some of their new deals that they've they've added. I'm trying to think here of I can step out on a limb a little bit for some some other realignment predictions. Uh, one that I feel pretty confident confident in right now is Lemoyne, uh, Division two school in Syracuse, is going to move up to Division one. Um, I think right now the NEC is more likely than the MAC, but it's that's it's pretty close. Uh, on, 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 on that front. Uh, also on the division two side, I would say do not discount the possibility of other teams in the Southeast ultimately making the decision to move up. Uh, I would, I would watch West Georgia again. I would watch Tampa former, 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 uh, former, uh, division one football program, Tampa, obviously don't have a football team anymore. Uh, well-regarded college basketball program. Um, would not would not be shocked. I'm, I'm not saying that's imminent. Just saying, like those are those are conversations that 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 are that are possible. The one way to, to get to, to to call a shot that's a little bit radical here. For just if we if if we want you know, to, to have some fun for prediction, uh, I think the whack is going to fall apart at the but near the end of 2023. Well, I, I think, think that that would dive in a little bit into my my prediction that I would follow up is is there going to be at yeah. least one league that goes bust or a merger? I think we could get a merger at both the Division One level and the Division Two level. We, we've, I, yeah. think, I think I recently read that uh, Division Three league, league is merging uh, with yep. with another. So I, I think that's sort of outside the box box concept a little bit in terms of hey we're, we're struggling to get an AQ bid uh, that, that sort of thing. I think that will pick up steam, especially after uh, we get some of the the clarity around the, the NCAA transformation uh, committee changes. Yeah, I mean that's already happening at the FCS football level. Like the what was it the OVC and like the Big South? I think is a, essentially. They have an alliance, but alliance the whack and you start to see something actually more formal uh, that that uh, you're saying, and I think that uh, dives into what you're saying about the whack. Yeah, um, I, I mean, generally leagues are very hard to kill. Um, uh, what was the, what was the last one that died? Was like what the Great West. Uh, I mean, the Southwest Conference was probably the the biggest oh, the league that actually died. You know, sure actually died, right? And then and so they're hard to start completely. I think the Mountain West was the last one that was started completely out of whole cloth. Um, it, it, people are loath to give up auto bids, and they're loath to create other auto bids. Um, the WAC has been unable to attract new members that fit their established criteria. Part of that's by because of geography. Part of that is because they don't want any other reclassifying members. It's not exactly a state secret that many of their schools right now are looking at FBS. You know, even this this whack a sun FBS plan. Uh, my my guess here is that does not actually happen, um, at least the way as currently constructed. But you know, I understand why they're doing it. Gonzaga leaves. It's going to leave some openings in the West Coast Conference. Um, stick with me here. Let's say Grand Canyon and Cal Baptist take those two things. Um, very possible. There have, you know, the, the temperature has been taken on both of those institutions w- within that league, within, with, within the WCC. Um, I think that point would be the, the straw 
that that kind of that kind of break, breaks that back then. And uh, Southland has, has reached out to a couple of those institutions. Um, the A Sun has reached out to a couple of those institutions, and that I think would be the catalyst to force some kind of merger, and 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 have that whole thing fall apart. I'm not so I'm not rooting for that. I'm not, but you know, if if you had to, if you asked me to to make a a a a, a, a more complicated, you know, less obvious prediction. I think, you know, by this time next year, the, the, that league is going to be staring down the barrel of some kind of dissolution and, and their teams kind of going between three or four other different leagues. And, and I think part of it would probably be even tied to the college football playoff expansion. And, yeah. uh, you know, I know there's been talk about maybe moving up to the FBS. And I think uh, ultimately once that door maybe gets slammed shut in terms of, no, you're not going to get a part, uh, slice of this pie, uh, at least not right now, until you can kind of uh, uh, not only move up formally or, or kind of uh, make sure that uh, all those all those T's are crossed and those I's are dotted in terms of making sure all those programs are, are good to go at the FBS level. I, I think that might be. Uh, ultimately, what what ends up happening is is uh, once the, once they get clarity on that, um, that could start kind of the, the ball rolling downhill. Um, are, are we forgetting any any other potential realignment predictions? I I I feel like that's all the ones I'm I'm comfortable like throwing a dart at now because yeah I'll, I'll second your uh, grand canyon one for sure i, I think yeah. that one uh, th- it does feel like it we're, we're advancing although the you know searching for a new commissioner maybe the you know the, the wcc presidents kind of want that to get that process out of the way before yeah. going through that uh, uh I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head at least in terms of an actual realignment prediction we we'll probably get into the media rights game uh, i know there are a couple of those that uh, we could probably dive into as well that are kind of tangentially tangentially re- related to uh, uh to conference realignment given that is a primary focus of, of a lot of those media partners. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk about that next then. So if, if I am recalling this correctly, there's two big media properties that are going to have new deals announced in 2023. One is the Pac-12 and one is the college football playoff for, for what, however that ends up looking post-2026. We expect that to be done this year. Um, for the Pac-12, I will predict that the deal is is primarily with ESPN and with Amazon, with Fox capturing a very small basketball only package. Um, you know, I'm thinking less than 16 games uh, to give them a little bit of late night inventory during for the for the regular season. The full postseason tournaments and everything are going to be capturing those two things. It's not going to go 100% streaming, um, but that's going to be the bulk of where a lot of that inventory goes. And it does end up being on a per school basis, you know, in the in the low 40s, a little bit more than the Big 12, but also take, you know, sacrificing a, a not insignificant amount of linear exposure. We can argue about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or not. The the the, the PP measuring contest between those two conferences and their associated media arms will continue, I'm sure, in 2023. But that's how I see this being resolved. I don't think it's going to go 100 percent on on Amazon. I don't think Turner or just or you know the Discovery or, or Apple or anybody else gets meaningfully involved. I think that's what it looks like. Gets wrapped up sometime in early February. Uh, I, I will kind of uh, dovetail a little bit off of that. I, I do think that uh, you know ESPN and Amazon are, are kind of the two primary partners that everybody sees uh, the Pac-12 going with. I think there will be a carve out uh, for Fox, not just in, in basketball. I think there might be a, a primetime football uh, game component as well. At least just, just a very small package, um, you know, of games, especially given um, you know they, they do like those those uh, primetime uh, windows out west uh, that they they can fill. You know, they're they're really not. Yeah. 
some options. I, I think the Pac-12 can offer that up to, uh, you know, I, I know there's been talk about CBS uh, potentially, you know, making it a full day of, of programming across CBS and, and involving the Pac-12. I think that ultimately is, is a package that does end up with Fox, no inside knowledge or, or have not talked with anybody uh, there about that. But uh, I think that is a bit of an inkling that uh, I'm getting on this one. I, I do think the Amazon component is is interesting. I, I think there will be uh, certain moves in terms of the Pac-12 networks being spun down formally uh, going forward as, as yeah. an announcement. I think part of that will be uh, Amazon acquiring or, or however you want to kind of term it, um, you know, some of those a- assets, uh, not just the, the linear channels themselves, but, uh, you know, really making a play in terms of some of that production tech, some of the producers, uh, that, that sort of thing uh, that they need to not only produce a, a lot of the Pac-12 content that will soon be on Amazon Prime, but... Um, also helping them out uh, across uh, kind of their wide swath of, of sports that they are adding to their portfolio. So a very complicated deal. Um, you know, I, I think you're right in, in terms of saying it will be uh, valued as essentially more than what the Big 12, probably five to seven million dollars a year more uh, would, would be my guess if, if I had to kind of throw one out there. And, and a lot of it comes down to, yeah, you're, you're selling tan- tangible assets in terms of some of those Pac-12 network uh, um uh, items and, and stuff that you're putting on that, uh, you know, really the Big 12 did not kind of have to sell uh, outside of those uh, third tier games that uh, they are now putting on ESPN Plus. So I, I would kind of throw that out there. I, I just think it, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of the positioning in the market. And, and it's going to be a little bit more complicated uh, to really just say, hey, they're they're making X number of dollars more than yeah. Big 12 schools. I think that that more than anything is, is one thing I will predict. People are going to read this Pac-12 deal wrong because the Pac-12 has, has different assets that they can sell that the Big 12 cannot because they were extending their current deal. So um, sponsorships, marketing, that, that sort of thing. I, I think the Pac-12 can do a, some some more stuff around the margins, uh, really, to to even zoom past the, the Big 12 in those areas. Um, I mean, we, people have been reading these deals wrong ever since these deals have come out at all. You you are exactly right. It's not an apples to apples kind of thing, but of course, everyone's going to try to spin it so the top line number is bigger. Um, I, I have to be honest with you. I don't have a read one way or another at all about the college football playoff TV deal. I feel confident that it's it's going to be split between multiple networks. Seems to me the question isn't so much will it be ESPN and Fox, but whether it will be ESPN, Fox, and somebody else. And that, I just don't know enough to, to offer any kind of prediction. I, I assume you might. Uh, I will say that uh, obviously the next two years, it, it's very different uh, in, in terms of uh, when they can actually go to the market. I think you will start to have some of those early conversations saying that, hey, we are fully taking it over uh, in, into the market uh, for that kind of year 13 uh, and, and have starting a fresh new television contract, you know, where you can get multiple bidders, where you can get Warner Brothers Discovery involved, when you can get, um, you know, CBS, NBC, every, everybody kind of at the table to kind of discuss some of these packages. I, I think ultimately this is an ESPN decision. I think they will sub-license out uh, at least two games per round uh, for, for those early rounds, but keep uh, essentially what, what we have now, the semifinals and the, and the championship game, um, you know, on ESPN. I think there will be some discussions around maybe putting the title game uh, on ABC, and, and see if they can do that uh, within the current yeah. confines of the, 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 uh, this contract. But I think more than anything, the, this is a, more of a jockeying uh, for a lot of these networks to say, hey, um, here's what we're going to kind of provide in terms of scheduling. Maybe it's a, a combination of things to where you can work with an ESPN, where you can work with a Fox, where you work with the CBS, knowing that they are also uh, television partners with the NFL. And, and maybe there can be some alignment there. Um, you know, especially if you're talking about some of those Saturday games that these games are going to go up against if they're on the NFL network. Um, you, you can maybe start to see, hey, even though we don't want to necessarily compete 
head to head with some of those NFL games. If we're CBS, if we're, uh, you know, Fox, ESPN, whoever it might be, uh, you can also make some headway there, uh, knowing that just the limited reach uh, compared to some of your other uh, cable channels there. I I recognize that we're, we're getting a little bit long, but I mean, hey, you're only getting one, you know, this week. You, you might have some holiday driving to do here. Um, there's one prediction place that I, I actually do want to kind of step out here and call my, call a shot because I think this is going to be one of the absolute biggest stories for next year. And it's one that I don't I do not believe our industry fully appreciates how big of a deal this is. Right. In 2023. We are likely to get an initial resolution of NCAA v. Johnson. This is the federal court case right now that at the core is uh, trying to answer whether college football players should be considered employees. Uh, it will probably not reach a final resolution in 2023 because it will almost assuredly be appealed. And we don't know to what we are, how high that appeal will go. I'm calling it here. I think the NCAA is going to lose. I, th- I think I think that court um, it, but buttressed in part by Alston, which is not exactly the same legal question, but one where that opinion is going to be cited. And with uh, an increased skepticism of, of leeway the NCAA has previously gotten about amateurism, I think they're going to find in favor of the athletes. I, I, the other thing that's going to happen in 2023 is that the National Labor Relations Board is going to begin to have hearings about whether athletes should be considered employees, not just at USC, but to, of the totality. That is also not likely to be completely resolved in 2023. There'll be initial hearings. There's going to be an appeal. Uh, We'll we'll see where those appeals go. I think at least one of those will find in favor of the athletes. Um, That doesn't mean that I think amateurism will be formally die in 2023. It it probably won't, but it could formally die in 2024, uh, depending on what happens here. And I, I mention this because... I think it's important for everybody to grapple one with the very real possibility that the administrative court system or the or, or the federal court system blows a hole in the last vestige of of the previous system. But also that needs to change that that's going to change the how Congress thinks about this. Congress did not pass an NIL bill or get especially close to passing an NIL bill, in part because most senators do not give a shit about college sports. And the crisis that the NCAA was trying to pitch here was essentially there's going to be a bunch of recruiting chaos and nobody really cared. Um, and, and that wasn't enough of a crisis. What's going to be able to happen, and this is not me endorsing this argument, this is just me telling you what I think is going to happen. Charlie Baker and a new lobbying team is going to get in front of the senators in, the, in, in next year and say, listen, the game's changed. The court between the between this court case and other ones that are coming after it in the NLRB, if the people in the U.S. Congress do nothing, college sports as we know it right now will end in a year and a half, and they will be made employees, and that will be on your watch unless you provide an antitrust exemption, unless you you know uh, legislatively codify the, something resembling the status quo, unless we're able to reach some kind of a negotiation to head this off. That is what's going to happen. And we're looking at a Senate here where, sure, Democrats nominally control the Senate. Republicans barely control the U.S. House. There are several Democratic senators right now that are going to be having to take some really tough votes in places like Michigan, places like Montana, places like Ohio. And I can see a world where people like Sherrod Brown and Debbie Stadnow and and, and uh, Tester realize, hey, I don't want anybody to cut an ad and blame me for ending college sports. 
that the professionalization of college sports is part of a liberal activist overreach here. And that's why, you know, people in these states should should uh, should vote for re- or conservatives or something and that they're going to try to strike some sort of deal. So I, I say all this to say um, I think we should grapple with absolutely non-zero uh, a non-zero possibility that the political realities around college sports reform change in Washington, D.C. The NCAA is counting on it. I, I'm, I'm not I don't think it's going to be a skinny antitrust exemption. I, I think anything that the, that the NCAA gets from legal relief is going to be tied to health care or tied to spending control in other places. But this is a real possibility I think people should grapple with, and it's going to be a major force. And if it fails, which it might, if it fails, um, this industry needs to be prepared for the fact that the NIL industry as we know it will cease to exist in two years because you, your boss can tell you how you do an endorsement deal. You're the, 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 you, they can't do it right now. That's anti-competitive. You're not an employee. You can't reg- meaningfully regulate this world. Even if there's not a collective bargaining agreement, if you're signing an employment contract, that does change things. So I, I, don't, I don't think I would want to be somebody whose mortgage depended on supporting NIL collectives. Um, because what happened during National Signing Day today is absolutely no guarantee of what will happen National Signing Day two years from now. Uh, I, w- I would definitely agree with with that sentiment. I, I think it does kind of stem. You, you go back to certainly looking at January. I think everybody's going to be very disappointed coming out of the NCA Transformation Committee and, and what they are ultimately going to present to the oh, board. Yeah. It's it's going to be real skinny. <laughs> so I, I think there's after we get past that, and after we get past we we digest some of the the, the minor changes. I, I guess you could say to how sport oper- you know sport committees operate and, and kind of oversight. Yeah, maybe the NCA becomes a little more nimble to react to, to some changes regarding certain sports. Totally understand that. That's fine. I think every, once we get past that, all the attention is going to be turned to that NLRB case, to the House to the House case, to the Johnson case. Um, and, and that really is going to soak up probably probably all our summer, um, uh, a yeah. lot of the spring, a lot of the fall, you know, like that, that the discussions around those legal issues are, are going to dominate, uh, I think, the airwaves, not not realignment, not necessarily media, media rights, although there will be a big flourish there around the Pac-12's deal. But uh, I think just the, the focus on those kind of impending bombs that, that are headed towards, um, you know, NCAA athletics, that that is ultimately what is, is going to drive the discourse in, in 2023. And uh, something we'll probably be talking quite a bit about, um, whether it's spring meetings, whether it's uh, when, once we get to NACTA again um, and, and talking to the athletic directors, how, how are you planning for this? And, you know, that we're, we're going to be asking a lot of those questions because, f- frankly, they're, they're already being asked now on, on campus amongst presidents, amongst general counsel offices, amongst conferences. Um, but it's, it's going to be jumped to a whole different level, I think, in, in, in 2023. And, um, you know, related to that, there, there are a whole host of issues. But you mentioned Congress. I don't think there will be an antitrust exemption. I think there will be talks of maybe there's there's some specific bill, bills targeted uh, to, to allowing certain things or, you know, restricting certain things. I, I don't think there will be a, a full antitrust exemption at this point. I probably Right, un- unwieldy to kind of even expect that, uh, as you mentioned, given the, the political nature of things. But maybe there's there's at least talk in, in Congress. Maybe we'll have some more hearings. Uh, maybe we'll we'll get to the stage where maybe we're at the end of the year. We are kind of debating uh, a certain sort of bill. But this seems like something that the courts are going to be driving first and foremost, and then everybody else is going to be reacting. New president or not, uh, you know, this is going to be a lot of defense being played uh, come 2023 for, by a lot of administrators across the country. Um, if you are listening to this and you are have, have not begun to think about what is your the, the 30, 60, and 90 days of your department look like in a world where college athletes are now, or at least some of them are considered to be employees, you better do that. 
Uh, like that is not a, a blue sky thinking hypothetical exercise. Like that needs to be a binder somewhere, I think, in every division one department. And I don't I couldn't right now, this late in the year, I couldn't begin to tell you exactly what that's gonna look like or how everyone's going to react. But I, I'm I, this is a drum I'm gonna be I'm gonna be banging a lot this year. The time to talk about this in earnest and not just, well, it's very complicated. We'll have to see him and kind of punt and like, no, we, we no dog, we got we gotta do this now. Um because the the time for abstract hypotheticals was three years ago, we are now on the door. And unless you are so confident that the NL, you will be able to beat both the NLRB, Johnson, and future follow-up litigation to preserve this model, which, by the way, works pretty stupidly, um, you know, given you know, the, the last couple of days here with NIL and, and recruiting, um, you have to grapple with this world. Uh, is there anything else I think that we want, we want to mistakenly call our shots here before we let people go? Well, we'll have some uh, some big changes, I guess, to uh, across the D1 ticker empire. I'll make that uh, prediction right now uh, in terms of, uh, obviously, the newsletter, extra points. We'll have some uh, you know changes to going for two. Um, I, I know everybody's concerned when we say changes, but they'll, they'll be positive. Trust me when I say that. Um, yeah. you know, a whole, whole host of things uh, still doing. Head Coach you got, got a couple things on, on the hopper on that front. So a uh, lot of lot of great stuff. We'll be at the NCAA convention to start the year um, you know, right after the national title game. So a uh, lot going on in, in right at the beginning of 2020. But uh, we will we will certainly be staying busy and uh, having plenty to talk about here on this podcast and, and on plenty of other platforms. Yeah, I think you real quick. I, I think I can talk a little bit about that for for 2023. Twenty twenty two was for extra points a successful year, but it was a successful year that brought some big questions. I think, and I, I wrote I wrote a lot about those. I'm I am personally really worried about Twitter. And it's not a, a political thing so much here as it is. Twitter is a major source of our audience referrals. And I don't think I can depend on that company um, just because it's so sporadic um, that we have to build an other audience referral systems. Like if you enjoy extra points, like this is my personal plea to you. Please help other people be aware of it. Please share it with your friends. Share this podcast with them, your colleagues, your message boards, your subreddits. That's it's really important. That's a that's a that's a business critical thing. We are probably going to leave Ghost and move to a move to Beehive, move to a different uh, newsletter service in late January. Like I'm spending some time working on on the on the back end there. We are going to make some changes with this podcast. I don't want to speculate on those because we haven't totally nailed them down yet. But there are going to be some changes for going for two. And the hope is to build the newsletter into something that is more sustainable and but still a high quality level. Um, guys, I mean, like I, I wrote two, two books worth of newsletters this year and like, I'm trying to write a second actual book and trying to do more actual reporting and trying to do other things. And so we have to, we have to move things around to, to, to make that possible and make it possible for us to hit the road. Right. I think some of the best things that, that we did, or, or when we go to conferences and get to interview people in person, and that builds a source network for us th- throughout the year. I'm really proud of the work that we did in Montana and at Grand Canyon, where we went to this year, and uh, on a little tour of Connecticut and Fairfield, like people responded to those. That takes money. That takes time. And that's where we have to make some changes to make sure that we have the resources capable of doing that. Um, I'm not quitting. I, I don't. I don't anticipate quitting in 2023. I, I don't think I'll be doing extra points for another decade. But like you know, we're, we're, I'm, I am excited about what next year will bring for all of us. 
And man, we talked for an hour. I didn't even talk about, about D1 Classroom, which is like, which is a, a big deal. Uh, what's going to serve thou- over a thousand students again this semester and, and potentially, you know, closer to two by, by the end of the year, uh, which is something that I think even listeners to the show will begin to, to see some benefits from moving forward. So friends, it's been fun. I can't wait to, to do this again in 11 months and laugh at what we screwed up when, uh, when Baylor is suddenly in the ACC and Ohio State has become an independent um, and Ryan Day is coaching the Chicago Bears. Uh, friends, you can, of course, follow me on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. He's at Brian D. Fisher. We're uh, all over Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Have a lovely and safe new year. And we'll catch up with you again in 2023.